welcome to Did I Blow Your Mind This Time, the podcast where myself and my co-host take turns trying to blow each other's minds with our movie picks. Sometimes the movies are obscure, sometimes they're mainstream. The only criteria is that the other person uh, must not have seen them. I'm Duncan. I'm Lex, and it's my pick this week. It's Clifford from 1994, starring Martin Short, Charles Grodin. Mary Steenburgen, Dabney Coleman, and a little hello from Richard Kind, What's Not to Love? And if I know Duncan, we're going to find out. (laughs) I don't like that I'm being made to be the villain of this podcast. That's what I feel like. Am am I wrong? I'm not going to tip the scales. Let me unpack my feelings about this, uh, this movie one kvetch at a time. 1994 was a big year for movies. Pulp Fiction was one of the biggest movies of the year. Probably more your speed because it has man-on-man rape. Speaking of speed, speaking of speed, other high-profile films from that year include speed. I'm going to hit a big list. Are you ready? Because it's actually, it's it's mind-blowing. The Professional, Shawshank Redemption, Natural Born Killers, The Crow, Apollo 13, Clear and Present Danger, Blown Away with Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones, Surviving the Game with Ice-T and Rutger Hauer, Disclosure, Color of Night, which I I hope you've seen, uh, Interview yes. with a Vampire, Legends of the Fall, The River Wild, Stargate, In the Mouth of Madness, It Could Happen to You, Crumb, Junior, Trapped in Paradise, The Last Seduction, Four Weddings and a Funeral, No Escape, The Mask, Don Juan DeMarco, The Hudsucker Proxy, Once We're Warriors, Time Cop, and Forrest Gump, and I left some off the list. I'm surprised I even saw Daylight that year, and I don't mean Sylvester Stallone. Uh, I have a friend who recommended Color of Night to me with absolutely no irony as the one of the best movies he's ever seen. You'll and never I, see it coming. I still bust his balls about it. Yeah. Oh, you've never seen. It yeah. No. It's, this was like Citizen Kane in his mind. Wow. That what? really takes me back. I did not see a ton of those movies in the theater. I think I okay. was busy drinking in college. I did go see Natural Born Killers and Pulp Fiction both twice. Yeah. That's uh, but a definitely. lot of other though, a lot of those other ones I, I saw later. I think that was that just happened to be my big in the theater uh, year where I, I hit them all. Um, but Clifford was not on my uh, theater list that year. I, I didn't see Clifford until I'm guessing the mid to late 2000s, and I have to give all credit to Tom Voorhees. Uh, co-author of Quarantine, uh, the very famous young adult oh, I love series. That. I love that series. You know that series. Um, and a uh, terrific portrait artist and good friend of ours. And let's face it, founding member of of the Brain Blow Club. Is that really it? one of the, the biggest blow boys out there? <laughs> the biggest this, blow boy. Well, this isn't admissible in court, is there, in, in terms of suing for the franchise of the show? No, we'll just, we'll just take the episode down before uh, the court case gets rolling. Now, listen, I'm a huge Martin Short fan, and I am a monster Charles Grodin fan. <laughs> so you're probably shocked that I hadn't seen 
Clifford before. And I thought about why haven't I seen this movie? I think there are two reasons. Okay. Uh, one is in my mind, somehow because this was during the Charles Grodin Beethoven years, and because there is a famous red furry dog named Clifford, this, even though I knew what the movie was about, I knew the concept, I'd seen some clips. I it somehow still didn't. thought of this as a, a furry dog movie. You and did. There, there is a dog in it, Sneakers. Yeah. But somehow I just mixed it up with Beethoven's. The second reason, which dovetails with the first, uh-huh. uh, which I'll talk about and uh, uh, throughout the podcast, is as a massive Grodin fan, this was not the stage of his career that I loved most. In fact, this was really the the end of his career for many years before the Grodin Assance uh, started again with Zach Braff's The X. So, oh, okay, or, or was that Jason Bateman's The X? I can't remember. Uh, either I, way, yeah, either way, this was not a Charles Grodin phase of his career that I loved for a few reasons that I'll talk about peppering uh, in and out through the episode. Although it, I mean, whether we like it or not i think beethoven and beethoven second which preceded clifford uh were hits i mean there's a reason why there's beethoven's second uh and and a lot of those movies of that era uh because i was in late high school early college the the those types of movies weren't on my radar or they were just things i was never going to see but i know that they were influential for uh the uh, younger millennials in in the batch um and so i think beethoven was was did all right and also huge hits they were right i'm now as a result of Clifford, I do want to see beethoven because what it seemed while i understand what you're saying he was uh maybe cashing in during this phase he probably also had the talk show around then or maybe it launched a little while after i think it launched a little later the talk show which i was a big fan of because it was just like unadulterated grumpy groden talking about oj <laughs> and he was always just talking off talking camera about to someone oh my god he couldn't yeah. get enough in about two minutes we're going to bring out uh art garfunkel uh oh i love art garfunkel <laughs> And um, you haven't made like your your career on sincerity, have you? It's basically been characters. No, yeah, it's been characters and and uh, and uh, and and also use a switching of agencies every every six months. So is that what you advise a young mm-hmm. actor to to switch? Yeah, I'm with uh, Paul's Talent Group and Grill, which is working mobs. And, and and listen, I still enjoy Grodin in these movies. But for me, you know, peak Grodin is one of my favorite movies of all time, Heartbreak Kid. So to uh-huh. see him in some of these roles around this time where he's like playing a family man and he's like, <laughs> it feels like he's like 10 years, 10 or 15 years too old for these roles. Yeah, yeah. And he he's playing what, what I don't he's playing the exasperated straight man to like a St. Right. Bernard or like worse, Jim Belushi. Right. And it's just oh, it it's starts in, with it's enjoyable, but it's not my my favorite of his uh Right. Don't tell your dad. No, 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 no. Do you think I'm crazy? I I know they're cute now, but pretty soon they're going to be monster dogs. They'll destroy our house and they'll drive me out of my mind. Hygienically, emotionally, financially, we cannot afford these dogs. 
don't give me those looks, the answer is no. He had locked into, if if I'm going to do it, my role is to react against something insane. Where And and I thought about that when I thought of, oh, wow, Midnight Run, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Me too. He, he is the he is the Clifford. Um, he right. is the agitator, uh, which is different. Obviously. And it, it's very subversive because in that you, you he seems like he's this milk toast accountant. Right. Uh, but but really, he's the oddball right. he, who's always are, pushing De Niro's buttons. Right. So that's, he unfolds. The layers are, are, are slowly revealed to us. Jack, let's be fair about this. You lied to me first. At the river. What? At the river. Before. Oh, get the. You're, at you're, the river. You lied, to, you lied to me first. You got some fucking nerve. No, no. You lied to me first. You lied to me first. Yes, yes, I lied to you first, but you had no knowledge I was lying about my fear of flying at the river when you lied to me. So as far as you knew, you lied to me first. I can't even argue with you. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm just saying you lied to me first as far as you knew. That's one of the exceptions in his 80s roles, the other being his uh, supporting part in Ishtar, where Elaine, oh. you know, Elaine Mays at the at the helm and she knows Groden's sweet spot. Love it. Lex is holding up a Ishtar DVD. Uh, uh, no, VHS. Oh, VHS. oh wow. Wow. Uh, and in that he gets to play, uh, you know, uh, Groden is best when he is playing a morally uh, questionable character. Right. When there Which is a is lack here. where when there is a lack of spine. Right. As long as their bodies do not disappear, I want no more rumors. And it has to be done by next weekend. I am planning to meet with Gaddafi on Wednesday. He calls me every day. The United States government will not be blackmailed. However, I see no difficulty in meeting your timetable. And also, I, you know, we shouldn't let this episode uh, run past us without mentioning the, uh, the persona he dialed in on uh, Johnny Carson and then David Letterman, which I think then fed into his persona on the talk show which is the asking letterman you know how can you even do this fake laugh this hollywood smile and sit there is that authentic to you that whole character that he played was so delicious and it just he did it over and over again and it, there was always different versions of it but fantastic i haven't actually been asked to be on this show other than as a last minute replacement oh that's not true don't please don't even no please don't even say that because we think and after pat sajak no. came on with a lot of publicity suddenly they called and said all right let's 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 bring him out because you know if i come out it's going to be unpleasant for you <laughs> no i don't i don't assume that it's going to well, be unpleasant. it will be it will be you think so yeah and I have to assume there must be some feeling of you're feeling threatened because why would they? You're nuts! So great, and it's still unclear whether Johnny Carson did ban him for a time from the Tonight Show when Groden was needling him about an Iraq joke, and well, I, I think Johnny thought it, he took it a little too far. I, I when you look at the Carson stuff, his Carson's reactions seem more authentic, more bothered than Le Letterman, who clearly was so amused by, by Groden. You lied to me. Yes. All right. Uh, are you proud of anything? Well, I'm most proud of that book because right. it tells what people have to deal with yes, when they I'm go proud. to showbiz. So what I'm, are you proud of? I, that I didn't write a book like this. <laughs> That's what I'm proud of. We're never going to get a straight answer or question out of you. No, I'm I serious. Am, I'm I am serious. Concerned. That is what I'm most proud of. It's a good book. 
It's a very entertaining Have you read the damn book? You betcha. I read the hard copy, which is very similar to this one. You didn't buy it, did you? What? You didn't buy it, did you? Of course you? I didn't buy it. I think I'd been 20 bucks. <laughs> And for the kids out there who have no idea what we're talking about, just get on YouTube, play around, type in Charles Grodin, type in Letterman, type in Johnny Carson. You'll see some fun You'll stuff. You'll get there. You will get a a real master class in droll humor. Now, we have the 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 other fifty percent here. For me, uh, Martin Short was one of my favorite. Uh, comedians as a kid i the one of the funniest things i had ever seen was the um synchronized swimming uh bit on snl with christopher guest and harry shearer officially it's got you know like zero acceptance you know i don't swim lawrence doesn't swim so i mean no of course not nobody is just going to walk up and hand us a gold medal especially since men's synchro isn't even in the 88 olympics yet but that's okay because we could use the time because i'm i'm not that strong a swimmer but i mean that just means that you know for like 92 we're a lock for the gold but then um three amigos was a birthday movie followed by a pizza party a pizza hut with uh personal pan pizzas so that lives large in my mind inner space was huge masterpiece Uh, masterpiece i didn't know who joe dante was at the time but of course i loved all of his movies also a big quaid head as i think you might be um and then three fugitives with uh nick nolte continues to to slay me and you know had you not seen already seen three fugitives that might have been a pick and then pure luck with danny glover which has the scene with the allergies which is so good yes also a big martin short fan over here loved jackie rogers jr's uh hundred thousand dollar jackpot wad sketch on (laughs) snl one of my absolute favorites loved ed grimsley so much i even love the animated uh ed grimsley uh, Grim- like you said, Grimly, Grimly. Oh, I'm sorry. That's how big a fan I was. I just want uh-huh. to test you. I watched the animated series. I, I just said I watched the animated series as well. I was distracted you were too, because you, you said were too busy. Ed Grimsley. Right. You were. You can fix that in post. Yeah. Uh, you were too busy wanting to shame me to listen to That's the right. content of what I was saying. Yes. Love three amigos. Uh, loved. Uh, loved three fugitives. Uh, I'll tell you what. And I even watched a, a bit uh, last night. Loved Martin Short's stab at the romantic comedy lead where he plays kind of a almost a neurotic uh, Woody Allen type in Cross What's Your Heart movie? with Annette O'Toole, one of my big oh. crushes. I love Annette O'Toole. If it, it is a charming, uh, kind of edgy, extremely dated Canadian um, <laughs> uh, I think it's almost like a bottle uh, bottle movie, just the, the two of them. On, I think uh-huh. they're on their third date, unpacking the lies of the last two dates. I met her a couple of weeks ago. The first time we went out, I thought, maybe, maybe. And then the second time we went out, I thought to myself, yes, yeah. Now I'm wondering... Could a woman this could ever really fall for a guy like me? Uh, before sunset, there was Cross Your Heart. I'd love to see a trilogy oh. of these two. I think we slept a little bit on Martin Short as a romantic lead. I loved his uh, serious turn in Damages. He's the best thing in Inherent Vice, a song and dance man. Huge fan. 
And as we uh, talk about the movie, I will also pose a question that I think Martin Short is so brilliant that Hollywood has often not known what to do with him. It's interesting to me to show all the, uh, you know, the different characters that you did and everything and how people like you uh, really aren't perceived the same way as someone, say, like a, like a Robert De Niro, like the great dramatic uh, actors. But the, the Marty Shorts of the world, specifically, I mean, Marty Short, <laughs> is a great great, great actor. And because he does comedic characters, possibly people don't recognize that as much. But, you know, comedic characters aren't easier. They're harder. That's why there was only one Peter Sellers, and that's why there's only one Marty Short. And I want to thank uh, Marty again so much. And he's going to stay here and be with Art Garfunkel and me. And thank you very much for coming on this first night. Thank you, Charles. <laughs> We'll right I'm back. blushing, but there's so much pancake too on, you can't see. <laughs> so should we dive into the movie itself? I uh, I was shocked. Okay, so I think we should get on the table first that there is this article out there, this um, vulture piece uh, that's the oral history of Clifford. That was a, a nice resource for some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that, that we may talk about here. I was shocked that this wasn't initially a Martin Short driven uh, uh, movie. It started with a high concept comedy script. First, two guys from Second City who uh, had done back to school, had a relationship with Orion. Um, they pitched it. It, it, I, it from the, the producers involved, it sounds like the script must have been hilarious. I think that a lot of what was on the page didn't make it to um to the screen although that big midpoint scene that we'll get to talk about i think was there and is is one of the great things about this movie yeah it sounded like problem child and i read that article too problem child might have taken a, a little bit of their thunder yeah and so then the evolution was then what if uh <laughs> What if we put not what if we put in an adult to play Clifford, but what if uh, it's Martin Short? I mean that that's when it hangs entirely on on Martin Short, and also evidently the uh, the name Clifford came from one of the writer's neighbor's son. The neighbor being Ken Olin from Thirty uh, Something. Oh, you don't have to tell me what Ken Olin's from. I know, you're shaking your head already. You're like, don't you dare tell I love, me. I love 30-something. <laughs> Such a fan. In my mind, they were so old when I was watching that. They were so old. I wanted I wanted their lifestyle. I also had a, a crush on... Uh, Remember 30-something uh, cereal on SNL? Vaguely. This is good. And good for you. No fat, no sugar, no salt. And in all the shapes of your favorite 30-something characters. Oh, guys. I got an oat brown Elliot. I like the way the vitamin fortified hope flakes stay crisp and skim milk. Man, let's go! I got the court in 10 minutes. Come on, basketball, remember? Haven't had my 30-something cereal yet. Oh, come on, you don't eat cereal. I got another oat brown muffin in the car. Another muffin? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you had a crush on... Uh, Ken Olin's wife. I want to say Hope Davis, but that's not who it was. No. Who I also had a crush on. Her name was just Hope. Yeah. Great. Great. Everybody, um, from, everybody from 30-somethings directing now. That's Ken true. Ken Olin, Timothy Bushfield, the guy with Smart. the hair. 
uh, Melanie uh, Mayron. Oh, yeah. all directing. Oh yeah, it was it was, it was like it was... a it was like a directing boot camp. Is that Peter Horton? Oh yeah yeah yeah, that's right. Um, there's a great line uh, uh, from Ken Olin in that article that says, "If they'd call the movie Bill, it wouldn't have been funny." <laughs> and I agree with that. I agree too. It would have it would have uh, I might have seen it sooner because it wouldn't have been the dog confusion. But right. yes, Clifford is the perfect name for this uh, bizarre man-child character. And so short was evidently a huge fan of the bad seed so this idea of a horror spoof uh where of of an evil kid i think resonated with him and he quite quickly knew what to do they did a screen test to see if this is this too insane idea would work and that was enough to get the ball rolling and that is what i love about this movie i know it's what Tom loved about this movie of it's too insane not to try. And that edge of danger in the production of it, I I find admirable. It's, it's a little, for me, it's, it's kind of, it's punk rock that it's hard enough to make looking at my notes right now in big letters, underlined punk rock. Yes. It's hard enough to make a movie, and then while you're making the movie, you're constantly questioning, is this going to work? That excitement drives this, <laughs> definitely drives the performances. Yes, and there was, and I'm I'm very sorry I missed it. I had a, a another uh, probably pre-VIP sexy engagement, but there was recently a screening out here in L.A. Oh. with Martin Short at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater with a, a live uh, sc- uh, a screening of uh, Clifford, and I believe Richard Kind was there as well. Maybe one oh. of the writers, uh, and I'm not sure. I think it was kind of uh, spurred on by this vulture piece. So all the cool kids, uh-huh. the cool comedy kids, uh-huh. are uh, creaming themselves about uh-huh. Clifford. <laughs> um, well, w- one thing that I think works that I like about this movie is the two-hander aspect. Um, and I don't think, well, definitely the movie wouldn't work without Martin Short. And I also, I would say that this doesn't work without Groden. It's a battle. It's just a battle to the end. It's like War of the Roses, except with, with Marty Short and me. He was cast for his his anger and getting to see that anger blossom, uh, knowing what the premise is, is, is a joyful experience for me. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And I would say if I do have a criticism of the movie and I do have a few, it's that I wanted these two together more, more. I wanted the, the, the handcuffs in this premise to have them in a room together more. I feel like there's a lot of bells and whistles in this movie and and not all of them, uh, really work as well. Sometimes I'm watching the movie and I'm just wishing I'm seeing that I I would love to just see the two of them sitting around an oak table, Charlie Rose style going at each other. And that actually is the scene I love the most in in the film. But let's start it off with this, this opening, which really threw me for a loop because I was like, hold it. I thought this movie was Martin Short as a a 10 year old boy, not Martin Short as a old Jesuit priest uh, with Fred Savage. Yeah, so um, I, I think probably it's it's easy to get this out up front, which is that uh, obviously it was not well received from test audiences, and so the hack job began, and the, and the frantic um, fixes 
uh, began. And so I'm not surprised to find out that <clears throat> the <laughs> the setting uh, that we begin in is the year 2050, <laughs> where Martin Short plays an old version of himself as a Catholic priest uh, wearing old man makeup and uh Fred Savage's little brother is a um, a kid just like him who's trying to. I'm not even sure. I, I guess it's it's a home for way <laughs> it's a home for wayward boys. But he talks about going to see his parents. So it, I'm like, is it a private school? Is it a boarding school? Like, what is this? I, I was a little confused. The, the only thing I could be sure of, and I don't think I'd even read the Vulture article yet was that this was tacked on. I was like, there is no way this was in anyone's initial premise of what this movie is. I also loved how it's a flash forward to 2050, but it actually seems like it, it it's from the 30s. It, it's, it's the only forward scene I've ever seen in the future that actually looks antiquated like it took place <laughs> decades ago. It seems like an old-timey, like you said, home for wayward boys out of a Jimmy Cagney movie. Right. You're expecting, why, why were there no like robots or something there to signify the future and yeah right like the only futuristic thing is he dials something on a keypad to, to open a gate maybe and that's that's a stretch it's it's <laughs> um and it's ridiculous because you know that it's <laughs> it only exists because well a they had already shot the movie but b they this has to happen in the present they didn't want to make uh present day martin short as the old man and then rewind to whatever the 50s uh, uh, you know what fun is that it's just so clearly uh tacked on as you said uh our good friends siskel and ebert uh shout that from the rafters right away in in their review clifford is like a movie from mars now we saw this movie in a theater with yeah. maybe 150 people two people laughed once a piece one of them was me and I think the other one laughed because I have an infectious laugh. I will say that <laughs> when the savage kid and I'm sorry I don't know his name uh, uh uh is trying to escape for the first time and drops they do the 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 three beat dropping things on Martin Short's head and Martin Short's <laughs> fall of getting hit on the head and falling was laugh out loud. It's the best part yes. of that sequence. It's so goddamn funny. Uh, I thought it was Fred Savage. I didn't realize he had a, a brother. It's the Boy Meets World Savage. And I, oh, okay. I, I, anyway, yes, I would say I was a little underwhelmed by that opening because I was intrigued. I was like, oh, is he like a, a grown man that gets shrunk to uh, a, a child size boy? Or is there a sci-fi oh, element? I okay. was really interested. I was like, how how is this How's movie going to start? Work? And like, I, I didn't know what the concept was. I was like, is this like, is there a body switching element to this? Well, even worse is that I feel like the the it's so executive y to cast uh Fred Savage's younger brother in essentially the same framing as Princess Bride, uh which is what it is. It's an old man telling a kid uh, a a morality tale or telling him a lesson. Um and we're gonna have to you know we're gonna have to cut back to them at the end and it's 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 groan inducing. And there's even stuff there's even they're so insecure about it that at the before the credits there's a sort of once upon a time uh there was a tale about a boy i don't even know it's not even worth repeating what it is because it's so 
half-assed. Yes. I mean, when those when that uh, initial card came up as the movie started for a second, I was like, hold it. Did I just put up, put up, put on the wrong movie on Tubi? Yeah, right. Uh, the illustrations are good during the credit sequence. But anyway, oh, also, I don't know when we'll get to point this out. Otherwise, the uh, it was shot by John Alonzo, who shot Chinatown and Scarface and Bad News Bears. Did you see that? I did, and I was very confused by that. <laughs> There's a lot to be confused about in this movie. Um, but finally, uh, we kick off and we flash back to the present uh, where uh, we get to see Martin Short as Kid Clifford. And I'm in, personally. It's a, a He's wearing a great little outfit. Uh, I saw someone online uh, talked about how he might be kind of uh, doing a riff, the look Almost seems like a Julie Andrews uh, crossed with maybe a later <laughs> Wes Anderson character. I, oh I love his, his little little Lord Fauntroy prep school look. Right, right. His hair and, is fantastic. And we meet uh, his favorite toy, Stefan the Dinosaur, who Short does this amazing little bit uh, where his dad, who's Richard Kind, is asleep and he... He tests the waters by poking his cheek with Stefan's uh, Stefan the dinosaur's head, and then like shoves the dinosaur head up Richard Kind's nose to like wake him up. And I, you get to see right off the bat that the the anger that the adults are going to throw at Clifford only works because uh, it's Martin Short. Where did you get that Walkman? Did you steal it? Oh my God! Is there no end to your madness? No, no a, a tiny old priest gave it to me, Da. You're lying. No. You're lying to your own father's oh. face. I have a good mind to leave you right here, you little animal. What a terrible thing to say to such a sweet child. I'm dreadfully sorry, Mrs. Extra Wide Load. What do you pack it in now, huh? About two dozen jelly donuts a day, huh? You know, if they had a kid in this role, it just, I, I think there would be dimensions of uh, awareness about, about the kid actor, but when it's, more, when it's two adults in this situation, it's, it's all hands are off and, and it's the rage. They can just go to new levels of rage, uh, Richard Kind and <laughs> his, uh, his brother, Charles Grodin. I just yes. love that Richard Kind and Charles Grodin are cast as brothers, too. I, I loved it, too. I would love to see a movie of these two together, oh. uh, a, a, a fun brothers movie. I also thought it was wise that they they kicked off the character of Clifford in the uh, on the plane. I feel like that was so grounding for you to understand that this is that kid that you want to punch, but their parents are doing nothing. Um, so to set him up in that setting worked for me. Uh, they also, or, or Martin Short sets up this <laughs> this sort of hammy, cross-eyed uh, Jerry Lewis move. Every time Clifford's about to do something evil, uh, he gives a, you know, <laughs> eye cross. That's so Martin Short, but it's exactly what you want to see if you're a Martin Short fan. Yes, and uh, Martin Short's Clifford uh, uh, goes into the cockpit and causes chaos and basically reroutes the plane to have to land in L.A. So you know a few minutes into this movie, it is go big or go home. 
You're not kidding. I love, uh, and I will try not to uh, quote too much of, of the Vulture article, but the, the Letterman uh, line about what is up with Clifford, it was too fantastic not to repeat, which is, uh, he said, looking at it from a medical standpoint, clearly <laughs> clearly, there's something wrong with Clifford. What would be the diagnosis of that human? Because there's a pathology going on there, but what is it? I just love that he's total psychopath maniac. He is a very bad little boy. <laughs> Which I was not expecting. You weren't. So what were you I, again? I thought I, mean, I would I know... expect a troublemaker, but he was a he was vicious. He was a vicious little boy. <laughs> so we get to meet Charles Grodin uh, in the scene that follows and get his stakes, which are basically Mary Steenburgen, who the saint Saint Steenburgen. Mary Steenburgen is an almost otherworldly celestial presence she's so good she can speak a, a line of dialogue that can be so outrageous and in such a thankless part and you never <laughs> doubt her for a second she's so good in this and and she made made this comment that she's basically cast in the same role again almost an elf and years stepbrothers later. and stepbrothers i mean she she really uh nails it i love mary steenburgen and uh i didn't realize she and charles groden are in another movie that same year Oh. The Summer Story, which is some kind of Bob Clark what? Uh, uh, sequel to A Christmas Story. I've got them now. But what is it? They're building a crapper. A what? An outhouse. A, a two-holder. An outdoor toilet. And you can bet it's not up to code. That crapper's going to be their downfall. Wow. And those were the last movies Charles Grodin did, those two movies. I know Clifford was shot a few years before, but both released, I think that's 94. And then he was off the radar doing 60 Minutes 2 and his talk show and writing <laughs> uh, his his books and doing oh, some yeah. uh, uh, prison justice stuff until he popped up in the, the X years later. So... Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I, I'm assuming they get along very well. They have nice chemistry. I do have to say, watching this Grodin introduction, yeah, that is kind of my first thought. I'm so excited to see him. So excited to be there with him. But he's this bachelor who's showing Mary Steenburgen his new pad in the Hollywood Hills, and she's upset there's not room for a child. And I'm like, is it's that, what is you wanted. <laughs> Is Grodin supposed to be some playboy in this? What is going on? He it, has it, the dopiest grin on his face, and he's so excited about the house. I realized in that moment that this was going to be my Grodin watch. Like, I was as hilarious as Martin Short is um, in the finer uh, Clifford moments. I just was all eyes on Grodin and his anger and his actual, <laughs> as you said, that, you know, this is late era Grodin and it seems, especially in this scene, there's there's like lack of nuance. It's just shouting. They then go on to just walk down the street shouting at each other. And I was like, man, well, they don't make them like they used to as far as <laughs> shout acting. I mean, what's wrong? I can't marry you. What? You're just like my first husband. He didn't want kids either. When did I say I didn't want kids? You don't have to say it. It's so obvious. It's a joke. What are you talking about? I'm talking about this bachelor pad with one bedroom. Where's the kid supposed to sleep? Oh, honey, have you ever heard the word sofa bed? Have you ever heard the word stupid? Stupid? We say stupid? Stupid! 
Are you saying this house couldn't work for kids? Oh, no, it's perfect. Where are the kids, honey? Oh, they're just out back playing on the cliff. I, I can't believe what I'm hearing, Sarah. I, I, I love kids. Oh, you don't. I saw you at the daycare today. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about other people's children. You should see me with a kid I know. You know, my own flesh and blood. My nephew. You never mentioned you had a nephew. I love my nephew. What's his name? I want to say Mason. Uh, Clifford. Little Clifford. The droll Groden, the subtle droll Groden that I love is is gone from this. And I think he just realized this movie was so outrageous from the get-go that he just has to commit a hundred and fifty percent to this over-the-top performance or else get shadowed by this Martin Short's Clifford. And, right. and and at first I was taken aback. I was like, oh boy, this is, this is the Grodin persona I don't want to see because right. he's shouting right from the get-go. But then by the time <laughs> Martin Short's character and he meet up, oh. then I'm on board because the exasperation is, he's almost like the, uh, you know, the audience uh, proxy. But yeah. I have to say this opening scene, it might've bummed me up. Maybe it hit a little too close to home as like a man who lives alone in the hills. Who's, uh, <laughs> Whose girlfriend is saying there's, there's not enough room for a child. I was like, oh, this is this is bumming me out. But anyway, we're off to the races. But you don't have a pair of pants that are that pleated, do you, Duncan? So you could at least. <laughs> uh, that's funny that you were concentrating on his pants. I was concentrating. He has the ugliest collection of like fuchsia sweater sweatshirts they're like somewhere yeah, they're between sort of a sweater and a sweat. they're 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 very cosby and they're all just hideous they're just colors i've never seen before they're completely hideous this is not a good looking movie which is what's so shocking <laughs> about the cinematographer I, I can't imagine this is one of his personal favorites there are some weird things that happen uh so that house and then some things later that i might point out um they set up that house like like we all know that Clifford and uncle Martin are going to be in this movie together. So when she sets up that this is no house for a kid and there's a cliff and you know, they do so much setup and then it, they never use that house again. Uh, that, and I feel like this, this also contributes to the, the, um, the comedy legend of it all is that, it feels like there is a lot missing from the film. And I, I think that there was, and I think that gets the, uh, the comedy nerd mind going of like, God, what else was there that we didn't get to see? Um, that was so fantastic or not. <laughs> so then we, uh, uh, we get through some plot mechanics of, uh, getting these two together. Um, yeah, there's a lot of shoe leather to get, <laughs> Clifford and Charles Grimm. And Richard Kind has to do some of the heavy lifting. Uh, We've got a downed plane. We have Clifford's desire to go to the dinosaur park. And we have the fact that Charles Grodin needs to prove to Mary Steenburgen. Independently. That that there is, yeah, totally independently, that that he does have a a paternal bone in his body. Right. Uh, But at the same time, he wants to use Clifford, this terrible child, to scare Mary Steenburgen from wanting to have children. Am I getting that right? no, is that was that I, I don't my think that's there. own projection? Okay. Yeah. So he does want to have children with Mary Steenburgen. I don't I think he's probably lying to himself. All he wants is Mary Steenburgen and he'll do whatever it takes to get her which is um 
you know, show that he loves kids. And can I tell my Mary Steenburgen story? Yeah. Oh, what? There well, it wouldn't be an episode of Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time without a personal story about a celebrity. I mean, I have to crowbar them in somewhere. Well, we we did work together briefly on a show called Blunt Talk with Patrick Stewart, the oh, Jonathan yeah. Ames show. It's available. Well, I don't know where it's available. I think it's available on Stars. Uh, she was wonderful. So great. She has a guest star turn. She sings the song. She wrote the song herself. And then I was very excited to hear oh, that Ted yeah. Danson, because he's uh, friends with the show's creator, and they were on did Bored to Death together, and obviously he's married to Mary, he was going to come to set. And I was very curious because, I mean, aren't they the ultimate couple crush couple, especially yeah. in Hollywood? I was like, also there's the no... Also the factor. Oh, what's the Ojai factor? I think they live there. Oh, that's the Ojai factor? <laughs> yeah, it just makes <laughs> they it. They live there. Of course they do. <laughs> Who doesn't want to live in Ojai and, and, and just and do the dirty work uh, And just look at Mary away. all day. Yeah, uh-huh. she's great. And so I was like, of course they're not going to be as in love as, the, you know, it's all an act because I'm a cynic with a yeah, black, yeah, dark yeah. heart. Ted Danson comes to set. He's sitting by the monitors next to me. Mary's singing the song on the on the monitor. We're shooting the scene, and he and he looks at me and he says, "She wrote the song herself." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I know that." And then he's like, "Could I uh, film this?" And I was like, "You're Ted Danson." And he takes his phone out and he's filming her on the monitor singing the song. And it's so sweet. And then she, oh. you know, she, we call cut and she comes uh, off stage and we're just all looking at them. His just, his eyes are oh. filled with love. Her eyes are filled with love. It was just awesome. She's amazing. It's clear. It's clear. He's, he's the, he's the, the, the lucky one there. Well, I think Ted Danson's quite a, quite a catch. He is. He is. I'm just saying of the two. Well, I think there, I mean, we'd have to get a, a young lady on here to say. Oh, right. Anyway, anyway, so that's the Mary Steenburgen tale. That's fantastic. Newsflash for any doubters out there. She's wonderful. Um, so we, uh, they meet at the airport. Lo and uh, behold, and... <laughs> Uncle Martin is also the architect who built Clifford's oh, yeah. favorite dinosaur. I also, I don't want it to go by that we don't acknowledge the moment that Clifford wakes from a nap. He's sleeping like an angel. He wakes from a nap, and there's his Uncle Mark, Martin, and he, right out of sleep, he says, Don't reject me! I thought that was amazing. <laughs> wraps him in a hug. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, another coincidence, is that um, th- that's setting up the our finale in, in Dinosaur World. Uh, and then there's another bit of stuff that that felt like a lot of setup that didn't necessarily pay off which is that clifford has robbed (laughs) robbed a bunch of people uh travelers of their gear and their dog uh that you mentioned you guys i loaded everything on flight 791 yet oh yeah well so far i'm missing a mountain bike a stereo a a surfboard and a big brown dog You brought a lot of stuff. I'm sorry, Uncle Martin. My dad's a scared of burglars. He makes us take everything when we go on a trip. Hey, you're a dog. I couldn't leave my sneakers at home. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bizarre bit. It's also very unclear. Uh, Clifford says to uh, Uncle Martin, like, uh, I haven't, I, you know, they talk about how much they love each other. And then we realize that Uncle Martin hasn't seen Clifford since he was a child, since uh-huh. his christening. 
<laughs> so you don't really know what their relationship is. I don't know if Charles Grodin's already annoyed with Clifford. I I'm a little confused wh- how he's using Clifford. It's it's a little it's a little watery for me at this point. But let me ask you something: Is it can you get past it enough to just enjoy the fact that you're watching Martin Short play a little boy, like? Because for me, I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, let's just max this out as hard as we can. I, I, if things don't work, I don't really care. I just am whatever makes this premise happen. And I need this premise to happen. I'm, I'm feeling like the premise is not clicking for me at this point in the movie. I'm expecting to be belly laughing a little more. Sure. Every time Martin Short does his cross eyes, <laughs> just just his hair, everything about him is making me chuckle. And and Charles Grodin doing his slow burn that isn't even particularly slow. He's so frustrated from the beginning. I'm laughing, but a lot. I'm, I'm like, I should be laughing Harder. more. Yeah. Okay. So we get an agreement that happens once uh, an unacknowledged uh, lie where um, they meet. Uh, 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 Martin Short meets uh, Mary Steenburgen for the first time and 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 falls in love. And there they essentially agree, uh, Groden and Short agree that they're going to take this journey uh, together and um, they have their own reasons and, and their own reasons don't matter to each other as long as they get what they, they want. So we're kind of off. Um, and then the next scene is uh, we meet Dabney Coleman. Exactly. I, I love not only so Mary Steenburgen goes on to play a couple roles in this vein. Uh, meanwhile, we've got Dabney right. Coleman, who has played this role. <laughs> it so is many the times. nine to five role. I mean, how does any man leave his girlfriend <laughs> or wife with Dabney Coleman alone? Just don't do it. That should be so clear by now for everyone. Oh, my God. His but, only new character trait is that he has a wig. He has a rug. Well, which... this I love because of of the many things I really like about this movie is this kind of meta humor. So we've got Martin Short playing a, a small child. We've got this whole plot point that they really make a meal out of that Dabney Coleman has this wig. <laughs> Meanwhile, Charles Grodin's wig is so preposterous. I know. I don't think I'd ever really noticed it before. And then I, I, I Googled it. I was like, when did he start wearing this wig? And I saw some pictures from the lonely guy where he's got his, his regular hair. Yeah. I didn't go back as far. I don't want to know if he was wearing a wig in yeah. uh, the heartbreak kid. I Maybe he was. I just love his hair in that. He looks like a big teddy bear. Sybil Shepherd calls him. Right. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on a tangent about his hair, but he clearly. No, I this... took the same note, which is like he goes he goes on a whole, you know, uh, monologue about not to shame people for uh, having rugs and, and the whole deal. And meanwhile, that's all I <laughs> like. You, that's all at. I was looking at. This is my nephew, oh. Clever. Here's say hello to my boss, Mr. Oh, Ellis. Oh, isn't he a cute little fellow? <laughs> Hi, Sonny. Morning, Mr. Ellis. My, that's the bestest looking wig I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's 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 not a wig. <laughs> you said it was a wig? No, no, no. You, you called it a rug. Too. No, 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 no. You misunderstood me, son. I never said you wore a wig, sir. Good, good. What are you looking at? No, no, I, you know. It's not a wig. I know that. Sorry, come on. Kidding? Not a rug. <laughs> <laughs> and it look, his hair looks ridiculous. Dabney Coleman's doesn't even look like a rug. No, I know. It's a great fine. wig. So I kept expecting, I was like, oh, are they going to pull Charles? Is Martin going to, uh, Martin Short going to pull Charles Grodin's wig off? Uh, they really hit this toupee rug yeah. thing yeah. hard. 
Yeah. Somehow Dabney Coleman is both Charles Grodin and Mary Steenburgen's boss in this. <laughs> she's she's a ner- Well, first of all, she's practically an heiress, uh, but she teaches. She doesn't even teach. She's just like the nurse, nursery school uh, uh, person at whatever the building is. Yes, it's very confusing why they would take a business trip and why he would give her a necklace from the staff, but it's really from her, and that she does this whole long bit of business getting it off her head that I was I was wondering what what, what is going to happen with this necklace. I know. It was a bit of ham. It was a lot. Um, but uh, so the reason we meet Dabney Coleman there is so that uh, he throws a wrench in Groden's plans to take uh clifford to dinosaur world and now he has to go back on his promise and so revenge begins between uh uh, clifford and uncle martin um and you know games are afoot games are afoot and pranks are afoot and 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 this is only my personal picadillo sometimes certain funny pranks don't always hit me as so Funny. Right. It was funny that Mark Platt, the producer, I think he was the head of Orion at the time, is is heavily featured in that um, that Vulture article because when I was watching the kind of the pranks segment of this uh, movie, which takes place at Mary Steenburgen's dad's house, yeah. uh, Apocalypse Now's J.D. Sprodlin. Uh, anyway, there's a couple pranks, and it reminded me. I was like, why am I not react? Why am I reacting so negatively to the sequence? Because it reminded me of the scripts I used to read as an intern at, at Mark Platt's uh, uh, <laughs> studio at Universal. And this was, I'm really dating myself. This is the era of like the, the American Pie gross out comedy. Uh-huh. And there would just be these really sweaty sequences where there's somebody pulling a prank on someone and they sometimes gross out humor makes me a yeah. little sick. This is all my way of saying <laughs> there are basically two pranks. There is Clifford. Spikes, uh, Uncle Martin's drink with hot sauce, I believe. Yes, Tabasco. Which I find a little puerile and lame. Uh But at the same point, I'm like, how would you react? Charles Grodin does sell it. His somehow his eyes become really wet. Again, this is really wet. I know. (laughs) He looks like, and I'm surprised it didn't go in that direction. That he he didn't play into the emotion of I'm so sad, I'm so moved. But they somehow they don't go for that. But his eyes are so wet. And then he can't talk. Like, can't you? Does does hot sauce like make you unable to talk? I wanted to go even a little more, and then he ends up practically putting his face in the punch bowl. Right, right. Now the other, I think, the gag that works that really got me, and it's all Groden, is the chapstick for lipstick switcheroo. Um, <laughs> but also, it's important, I think, to do these side notes. This is where my appreciation of Groden's performance uh blossom more and more is every time he ca- so he catches Martin Short's hand in his pocket doing the switcheroo before we get the payoff and he lectures <laughs> he lectures Clifford of why not to do this but his his uh improvised rants are so, for me so delicious Clifford, what are you doing I'm sorry Uncle Martin I just wanted to borrow your lip thingy stuff lips somewhat just just put your hand into somebody's pocket and no you cannot borrow it it's not sanitary whatever you say uncle martin i just love like watching groden's mind work as he leans into the same thing that he does on letterman 
uh, where he just rails on someone. He just yeah. takes this opportunity to shame them. Uh, so that was really enjoyable. But then the when he puts the lipstick on at the table, Groden's face is suddenly, it's just that one touch of lipstick with the thin lips, and he just plays it so well. I want to be on board, but I in, I got to tell you, when I was watching it, I was like, I could have gone my whole life without seeing Charles Groden in lipstick in a prank like this i just i i, I and because I will, your esteem for him is so uh vast is that it, what it is it's like I you feel like he's so. slumming it 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 feels a little slumming it it feels a little silly but i will admit also i don't love even just seeing people put on chapstick i almost want to look away in chapstick. the scene that yeah, in the scene before when he puts that on the chapstick, I knew something was going to happen with the chapstick. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't want a chapstick, Joe. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. So that just might be me. We can just move on. Okay. All right. Um, I loved it. Uh, I, uh, a, a setup uh, from an earlier scene is Clifford creates a bomb scare that forces uh, Uncle Martin to get arrested at the party. And uh, he's carted off. To jail um and we have a little bit of stuff where <laughs> he's inter interacting with the cops uh who somehow have fallen for this gag yada 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 i don't care until as you said we get uncle martin and clifford back together again cards are on the table we are sworn enemies what the hell's going on let's lay it all out Yes, this is like the double-edged sword of this movie for me, which is that this scene is so great and oh. so fun and I could watch it over and over again and so simple in the setup that it makes me enjoy the movie, but it also makes me yearn for what the movie could have been. And I think that a lot of comedy people i'm 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 just guessing yeah, yeah, that when yeah, letterman says i love clifford he's talking about this scene or he's just talking about martin shorts uh, clifford and just you start laughing the moment you see him uh this scene is great they are going head to head i love how angry groden is i love uh shorts expressions it's just heaven you're gonna have a one-way ticket back to your parents oh, don't send me back to my parents they hate me Not as much as i do Oh, stop with the fake tears. I'm not faking. I am sorry. I'll admit anything. Just stop sending me back to my parents. I'll even tell Miss Sarah that I was the one who put the lipstick in your pocket, which I didn't. It was her father who did it. He wanted to embarrass you. He said that you were a simple-minded moron. Sarah's father called me a moron? A simple-minded moron. And Sarah's father put the lipstick in my pocket. Yes. Why would he do that? Because he hates you. I don't know why. I certainly think you're a nice enough sort. I suppose that Sarah's father also put the hot sauce in my drink. That I don't know. You don't. No. You don't. No. You don't. No. You have no idea who did that. I would suspect the bartender. Theory. Well, you know, I would suspect someone else. Now, who could that be? If you are about to say what I think you're about to say, then I don't want to hear it. Because Sarah Davis loves you, Uncle Martin. She wouldn't do that. Oh, she has problems with you, but every relationship goes through that. 
Oh, you... You don't think it was me? Oh, Uncle Martin, stop! And I had to be made naked in the jail. I was strip-searched. I was, I was humiliated. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I made the tape. Oh, God, it was wrong, Uncle Martin. And why did I do it? Why? I can appreciate what you're saying. Uh, I, you know, you could just watch this scene on YouTube and feel like you know what the movie is. That, that's you... the title of the YouTube <laughs> clip. The the one scene to watch in Clifford. <laughs> I feel like you could do that, but you are waiting for this scene to happen and and enduring the the every bit of the movie that comes before it, I think makes this scene uh more wonderful and more powerful and funnier uh, because you've had to get here. Now you could just because watch the scene is, and it is. My ass is numb <laughs> and I'm waiting for the scene. Sure. Yes. I like it better. If you're dying of thirst, a glass of water That's what I'm does saying. taste a little better. That's what I'm saying. And it's worth having that experience for the first time so you can enjoy it. And then you can rewatch, watch it to your heart's content on YouTube, which I have done. I've watched it over and over again. There are certain lines that Groden has that, just slay me uh the preventing him from holding the dinosaur and then clifford uh all all clifford is thinking about the subtext is that he just wants that dinosaur back it's you don't know it until you see it and he grabs it out of his pocket listen to me listen to me shut up a minute listen shut up you listen to me you listen to me all right Don't put the dinosaur on me like that. Just leave the dinosaur over there. Just leave the dinosaur over there like that. I'm trying to tell you something. When I, when I was a little boy, you know, you touch the dinosaur, I'm going to kill you. Stefan wanted to stand here. Give me the dinosaur. Give it to me. I ripped its head off. Give it to me. God almighty, boy. That gets me. There's just so many moments in there. And then there's the famous um, act like a human boy. Uh, line where Martin Short uh, tries <laughs> to act like a human boy and cannot. But if you even look at me funny, if you do one thing that I find weird, which is, you know, like your middle name, see, you're doing it right now. Can you just act like a human boy for one minute here? Look at me like a person. You can't do it for more than a few seconds. Look at me like a human boy. Don't mess around with me. You're going to be back on that plane. You understand me? I understand that I love you. All right, all right, all right. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Stephen, walk back. It's fun. It's meta. I love Martin Clifford blaming the lipstick and everything else on other members of the party. At one point, he says it was the bartender. And I love how loose and fun it is because they don't don't follow up on any of that stuff. It's clearly... Uh, the, the two of them improving, and and Groden is is at the, just the top of his game. He's 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 doing screamy shouting acting, yep. but he's he's also kind of got um, he's also I don't know somehow infusing this scene with a drollness that isn't in the rest of the movie that I really love. Yeah, if you touch that dinosaur, I'll kill you. Is one line. 
So they, good. They are going back and forth. Neither is going to allow the other to steal this scene. It's um, a perfect tug of war. It's a perfect tug of war. And, you know, uh, what follows next? There's the, uh, uh, some people love the Martin Short's run down the train station singing San Francisco. I, that for me, I, I get it. I get why it's it's fun and so Martin Short, but that's, you know, it's not my favorite thing. The Dabney uh, Coleman ponytail bit is okay. I didn't even realize he had a ponytail till he then. Didn't. Did I miss? Oh, he, he had a new wig because Mary Steenburgen threw the old one out the door when he tries to um, rape her, basically. And God, how did it happen? Another assault. I know. Um, well, season two, we're going to have someone in, uh, I think, to help us put some of this in context. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing some research on that right now. I think that's fair. The, uh, yeah, the song, is that an Ethel Merman song? And Francisco, open your golden gate. You'll let nobody wait outside your door. San Francisco, here is your wandering one saying I wonder no more. Other places only make me love you best. Tell me you're the one in all the golden west. I thought it was fun just because I'm like, okay, we're kind of throwing uh, what a 10 year old boy would like and not like out the window and just doing stuff that Martin Short would like. And that's right. One of the things I love about Martin Short is he feels like he's from this other Hollywood era right. in his, the way he has this bag of theatrical tricks because uh-huh. he's such a showman. I mean, uh-huh. is there anything he doesn't do? I feel uh-huh. like he plays every instrument. He can do every voice. He's just such a, such an old school uh, Hollywood showman who's always have you ever seen Martin Short be off I don't think I have he's no always on he's always on in I mean he's the best in in late night interviews he's hilarious he he pulls uh, uh my wife Alexis was talking about how how skilled he is at luring people in and then slamming them you know he he tricks them he lets them walk through the door and then he slams the door on their foot oh, essentially. I love that. um I will say that I I conned my daughter Wallace into watching at least half of this with me, and she was laughing in spite of herself. She I she was between laughs saying this is so weird, this is so weird, uh, but she was laughing. Um, and then I lured in Alexis as, as well. Also, this is so weird. This is so weird. And then still laughing, which I think you know, says, says how special it is. And listeners, I watched it alone with my dog. Cause I have no family <laughs> and few friends. That's the, the point. That's Lex why we're trying a pairing. To get across that's right why now. we're a pairing on this show. We come from different points of view. Call me a lonely old man and a phony. And then we get this sort of classic movie payoff with dinosaur world we've got to get to dinosaur world it's been talked up this whole time and then we see it and i the first time i saw that was impressed that's not something siskel and ebert said that it was shoddy and looked horrible i disagree i I think it's like of hollywood old and And so does steven spielberg evidently culture article um it, it it felt like some of the the great set design of the early 80s with some of the the 
horror, I'm thinking of like terror vision and other horror comedies that had this, um, or like very Joe Dante. What did Ebert say? Oh, he called it. He said, um, you can see the payoff, not paying off, which I can see that. I'm glad you brought up Siskel and Ebert because I didn't want to lean on them and be that guy. The show is not called Lex and Duncan unpack Siskel and Ebert. I, I disagree with Roger's assessment. There are things I didn't like about the movie, but I thought Roger picked on the wrong things about the movie. He just didn't seem to be on board with the concept of Martin Short as a 10 year old, which seemed to be the the case of most people at the time. But I think he's, I think he's uh, missing what's fun about the movie and kind of pick, picking the wrong parts that uh, didn't work. I found the yeah dinosaur world a really fun delight. Uh, this is where I, it does seem like there are some uh, some really interesting cinematography, and you're on you're you're you do almost the entire ride. I can't think of another movie where you're on the whole dinosaur ride, seeing it almost to uh, Clifford's POV. And I yeah. was looking up. I was like, hold it, is this uh, is this real? Did they build the ride for this? Uh, just for the movie, I think it's kind of a, a combination of uh, elements. And yeah, Martin Short said that Steven Spielberg called, kind of impressed about how they shot that. It's uh, it's 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 weird. It's bizarre. It's kind of one of the bells and whistles that I've been criticizing in the movie. But in this case, mm-hmm. it's it's so well done that I didn't mind, and I'm uh, 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 tongue in cheek along for the ride, loving this. And they do uh, so. Uncle Martin ends up saving Clifford uh, in spite of his uh, intention to kill him. Uh, There is this sort of clumsy, if you were looking at child Hitler, would you, would you kill child Hitler (laughs) comparing Clifford to Hitler a couple of times and basically saying, you know, I may be dooming future generations uh, that is inserted there. But I do, what I do like about, the end in that scene is that (laughs) Clifford doesn't win over uh, uncle Martin's heart. Uncle Martin just saves him from dying. And, and Clifford's like, well, aren't you going to take him, (laughs) take me with you? And uncle Martin's like, no, basically like, fuck off. You suck. Your decision. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, no, Clifford. Don't, don't. I I don't want to hug you. I, I can't imagine anyone ever wanting to hug you. I really am sorry. You really are sorry? You know, sorrow is, is a human emotion. And as we know, you're not a human boy. You're just this, this destructive thing. Eventually, everyone just gets to hate you. Let's go. If that's what you feel, why should I go with you then? Then don't go with me. It's your choice. I love that there was a slight bit of integrity uh, there, even though there are, you know, we get the, um, the bookend that was set up that uh, clearly was a reshoot. Uh, We get the wedding that I think also was a a reshoot. Um, Evidently uh, the director says that um, uh, here's the, here's the line. The original ending was Clifford parachuting out of a plane to get back to dinosaur world. He went on to go to Hawaii with his parents. At the end of the movie, we see them leaving at the airport and he's kind of made up with Groden. Clifford and his parents get on the plane. And then at one point we cut to a shot of the empty sky. Then we see Clifford's legs come into frame and he's in a parachute 
and he makes the Clifford face. And that was the last shot of the movie, <laughs> which to me, I read that uh, as he killed them all. But uh, because it's the Clifford face and maybe the plane goes down this right. time. Oh, yeah, actually, I would read that the same way, um, which it seems kind of fun and which and seems maybe fun. a little more satisfying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, than the than the cutting, cutting a couple decades forward to him as an old priest. <laughs> Yeah. So Clifford, uh, I know I've I've vacillated back and forth. I know you're on the edge of your seat right now, Lex, wondering if I'm going to give this movie a scanners or a bickle. But I also know you might have some concerns about our ratings, our rating uh, scale. Do we want to bring those up now? We just decided to run with this idea, and it's been totally rewarding and totally fun. And uh, we are open-minded dudes who are uh, learning from the process. And I think maybe we'll just tweak things uh, in season two. I don't know quite how, though. Well, let me explain for the listeners that Scanners is a movie that blows your mind. Bickle is a movie that doesn't necessarily blow your mind. It doesn't mean you don't love the movie. How many movies have you ever seen that blow your mind? You see where I'm guess... going with this? And have we have we had any movies that aren't scanners so far? Every movie's blown the other person's mind. Right. Seems like a little. A it's little a pass. Soft. It's it's a pass fail uh, framework. Well, no, because I wouldn't say a bickle is a fail. Right, but you can't help but feel like if you call it a bickle, you're. You're saying it's it's not. I don't want to get a lot of blowback and hate tweets from the cool comedy kids that are creaming their pants about Clifford. I love rediscovering a a a a, a, a movie that wasn't given its due back in the day as much as anyone. Hey, I'll sit down and smoke a bowl and watch Cabin Boy. Let's do it. <laughs> I'll kick back and uh, watch enjoy Stewart saves his family. Southland Tales. Why not any day of the week? And I might even do a smoke a bowl and watch uh, Clifford again. But, and when I was watching it, I was like, damn it. I wish I was at that Martin Short screening with everybody laughing, but do mm. I need to be at a screening with a star of the movie surrounded by laughing people to make it work, to really make it work? I don't think that's a very high bar. So I enjoyed this movie. I love that that middle scene with Grodin and Short going head to head. And part of the reason why I might not be giving this a uh, my mind might not have been blown is because the potential of the movie is so buried in that scene that I was like, damn it. Can't they just put these guys on a road trip together, lock them in a motel room, uh, you know, put them put them on a, a, you know, some kind of like mandate like like Martin mm -hmm. Short and Neto Tool and Cross Your Heart which was mm -hmm. very satisfying and, and, and have them go at each other. Do we need all these bells and whistles? So in that part, and, and almost I'm reminded of the vulture article where, where Mitch Hurwitz is, is at the screening and says something like, you know, he loves the movie. He hasn't actually watched the whole movie all the way through ever. Right. He loves the movie. So uh, my mind wasn't blown, but I had a wonderful time. And if I ever meet Martin short, I'm going to tell him it's my favorite movie ever. Uh, and I don't want I do not want to get blowback from the cool comedy kids. I hear I you. I can't say my mind is blown and I'd be. Yeah, so it's I a bickle. It's our first bickle, which is, I think, bickle. I think needs to happen. That's totally fair. And that's my frustration about uh, these. Well, about studios making these types of movies, right? I thought They're, you were going to say about Cape Fear and then you're going to like take back uh, your review of that. <laughs> no, for I'm, a little, I'm not uh, taking anything tat -tat. back. Um, but moreover, like Clifford is, is kind of a sketch 
it, idea. It's like a Saturday Night Live movie right. that didn't have a pre-existing character before. Exactly. And those sort of blossomed right around this period. I was Wayne's World was uh, a couple years before, then the sequel, Tommy Boy's 95, It's Pat was 94, and then Carrie, uh, The Mask was this year. I think Dumb and Dumber might have been the same year. So Carrie's starting to explode, but... Um, yeah, I think there wasn't at least uh, for studios making these types of of comedy, big comedy character movies. There wasn't room for n- nuance. We've had some that hit on all cylinders in the whatever thirty years since. We've had time to figure out how to deal with big characters like this and and maximize, you know, Tropic Thunder and and um a lot of Will Ferrell movies ha- have managed to work all the way through and they don't cop to the, what expectations there might be of a simple comedy. Uh, so I think it suffers from that. Parts of it are ahead of its time and, and just didn't have uh, the facility uh, to, to make that happen. It's a time. fantastic curio. Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm glad it exists. And I think it, paves uh the way for uh jiminy glick two years later if i'm being honest the only real reason i'm bringing up jiminy glick right now is to mention that it's rumored that jiminy glick is based on skip e low uh those interviews are on youtube who is basically is jiminy glick before jiminy glick but the the real guy um and they're mind-blowing to to watch and i encourage you to do do so he was actually the humphrey bogart of his day ah he was really considered the humphrey bogart of the 40s i should say humphrey a rotten bogart. guy huh yeah yeah he's real a real rotten guy yeah, real rotten no but he's a sweetheart lawrence turney <laughs> how are you lawrence how do you do larry may i call you larry i guess you how have you that. been my god scott brady's brother this is Remember Scott Brady? Oh, yes, I do. Lawrence Turney. And and did you know that Lawrence Turney does Shakespeare? He recites Shakespeare? Nobody knows that about you. Not now, though. No, but you do. Now, how did you get into Shakespeare? I didn't get into Shakespeare. Why? Okay, you didn't get into it. Tell me, uh, uh, why do you recite Shakespeare? I don't. When did you hear me do this? Someone told me. (laughs) That's my total shoehorn. Well, listen, you you don't have to uh, tell me about Jiminy Glick, because I was just watching Skippy Lowe. Uh, this morning. Really? Yes, I was. Who was he talking to? Do you want to take a guess? Uh, Lawrence Tierney? Uh, no, but it did have to do with last week's uh, episode, Scarecrow. And I was just Hackman. about to post. I, nope, I was just about to post about it. Pacino? Nope. Uh, Richard Lynch. Richard oh, Lynch. Uh, wow. He has, a, he has a very chunky conversation with Richard Lynch that I found very interesting. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait to see it. I'll post a little reminder on our gram. If I'm not canceled by then, <laughs> by the cool comedy kids. Well, I, I, who are going to uh, want my head on a stick. Kudos to you, Duncan, I'm gonna, for I'm speaking gonna be your mind and delivering get a... the first bickle of the season. <laughs> you've you've broken our uh, uh, mind cherry. Uh, so that who knows what's going to come in in the seasons that follow. Maybe we don't mess with uh, the the ranking at all. 
I'm going to be trying to get a job on like some kind of like <laughs> Mr. Show reboot or something. And then they're going to be like, really, you you think you've got the comedy chops? This guy who didn't like get Clifford. And I'll be like, I love Clifford. I just didn't. It didn't blow my mind. And it won't matter. It won't matter. You'll have to explain the rating system. Exactly. And by that point, uh, like most of our listeners, they will be long gone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we've done it again. Um, I uh, think we've learned a thing or two in this season. And, we really uh, have. Sh- I've learned a lot about you. Uh, likewise. Likewise. And I can't wait to learn more in season two. Um, more news when we have it. And if you want to do our sign off, I thought the, the one last week worked pretty well. <laughs> oh, I thought that was part of our learning process. Clifford didn't blow everybody's mind, but did it blow yours? Let us know on Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Good stuff. Yeah, we'll map out season two soon. Uh, Sounds good. I'm excited. Didn't I blow your mind?